girl here ah, and I am back. I am back. And you're listening to series two, episode one of my show. Just let you know, I have no idea what the difference is between series one and series two. <laughs> Apart from I'm using a brand new laptop to record this, so that's quite fancy. But anyway, but I've had a few months of podcasting and it was completely unintentional. I started a new job. I was focusing on my new job. And also I just felt like I'd neglected you and my partner. I'd neglected Moi Moi. So I thought, you know what, I'll just focus on them. And also I was in Edinburgh for six weeks, which was amazing. It was so good. I lived with my mum for six weeks, which basically regressed back to, back to being a teenager, which was actually quite nice. There's been times when I'd come out of a shower and I'd come back and she'd make my bed and it was so good. <laughs> So yeah, that was really good. And uh, I also ripped into my mum to tell me that she loves me as well. So she hasn't told me since though, but it's just because I basically bullied her to telling me that. But yeah, I basically just refocus on things that I've parked to one side since I started podcasting. And I just wanted to find a better balance of everything that's on my plate. But anyway, I am back and I have the most exciting guest, Miss Maisie Chan. Yay. Hello. Uh, yay. Hello. <laughs> Maisie Chan is a British born Chinese author from Birmingham, author of Danny Chung Does Not Do Maths. And also I found out that your book in the US is called Danny Chung Sums It Up. Anyway, yeah. we can speak about that later. You're also the author of my daughter's favorite book, Amy Wants a Pet, which I've got here. Hold on. I don't know why I'm showing you this because you've probably seen it so many times and people oh, like listen, people, <laughs> people listen to it's quite been silly, but hey. And you also run Bubba Tea Writer, a network which supports EC writers in the UK. It's basically no ends to your talent, Maisie. <laughs> thank you. Maisie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that I tried to get you on before, before I took the break. And then life happens. So I'm so happy that you are my first guest from whatever Aww. my series two is. <laughs> no, thanks for having me. Now, I've been like mega busy as well, like launching two books. So this is a good time, actually. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Anyway, I know that I've just given you uh, a bit of an intro, but tell us more about you anyway. Okay. So yeah, I'm a British born Chinese author for children mainly. And I kind of fell into it because I wanted to start writing like many years ago, probably 2004, 2003. I wanted, I knew I want to be a writer and then I didn't write. I was like too scared to do it. So for two years, I just talked about being a writer and told my friends, I want to be a writer. I want to be a writer. But I think when you first start out, you think everything that you write is going to be rubbish and you think all the stories have been told and you just have to start somewhere. And I started, my friend sent me a competition. And it was for mentoring for BAME writers in Birmingham with Birmingham Libraries. And I got onto that scheme and I got a mentor for six months. And I wrote a short story called Lychees and Bingo Balls, which eventually turned into Danny Chung. So I kind of recycled that short story. The idea was inspired by my friend Stella, her grandma. She was from Hong Kong and her grandma came to live with her age 92 from China, from a small village in China where they had their own dialect. And so she couldn't speak Cantonese and she couldn't speak with Stella, who was her granddaughter. And so that was kind of the premise for Danny Chung does not do maths. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to show that it was different types of Chinese people, that there's some people that speak Cantonese, there's some people speak Mandarin, there's some people that speak totally different dialects um there's hacker people and and so in Danny Chung there's a line where he's like you know all Chinese people are not the same mm-hmm. so even though it's a story for all children so it's kind of aimed for eight to twelve year olds there is 
um, like little droplets of Chinese, British mm. Chinese culture throughout. But then the real story is about a British boy that doesn't want his grandma in his room. That's the main story. And then you've got these other things um, around it. So it's not, it's a book for everybody, but it's also, you know, it's one of the first British children's books with a British Chinese boy on the cover. Yeah. Which is like um, crazy that it's 2021. And Oh, wow. You know what, though? You say that it's aimed towards kids aged eight to 12 I kind of have to disagree I think it's also aimed towards me as well and I'm like, you know, <laughs> almost 40 um, and I think you know what I think this is aimed to obviously you've got that you've got that um, you know that age market that you've got eight, eight to 12 yeah it's a market I also I also feel like anyone that's British born Chinese or even like you know any um community that have been born and raised in the UK I think this could be really relatable too no matter what the age is and and you know what I'm not a massive book reader I'll put it out there I'm not a massive book reader and I've I remember when I was a kid I didn't read used to read a lot of books which is really weird telling people that because a lot of people like some of my friends they'll be like oh do you remember when uh, we used to read the Harry Potter books or we used to read all these books and I was just like no and some of my friends are like what did you not read when you were young I'm like not really because my mum and dad were too busy in the shop yeah, do you know what I mean and it's, it's, yeah I think it's common actually yeah and and also the books that I did read none of it had any Asian representation like EC representation there was there was none of that and it's only because I've started to learn more about my heritage particularly now I've got Moi Moi and my daughter I, I want her to embrace her heritage because my daughter she's mixed race so I want her mm. and I feel like I want her to learn more about the, her Chinese side of the background yeah. and I think I've got to be really careful about talking about your book because I just don't want to give too many spoilers <laughs> I might have to do lots of editing but I'm partway through reading your book it really resonates with me because I see myself as Danny I see myself as Danny. Mm. I see my parents kind of being like Danny, Danny's parents as well, you know, with the takeaway. I remember there's one time my mum and dad says, oh, you're Deadpool. So it's like my mum, my mum's mum, are we called a Deadpool? Oh, she's come to stay. Mm. And I remember them feeling really happy about it. And I was like, if she's going to come stay, where's she going to, where, where's she going to live? Because yeah. at that time, I think my sister had already, yeah, my sister had already moved out. She'd gone to uni um, in Edinburgh. My brother and I, we were sharing a room, a really small room. We had two, two single, two single beds. We had a two bedroom house. And I was like, if my dad was going to come stay with us, where's she going to stay? My brother and I, we put our two beds together to make a twin bed. Mm. And then me, my brother and my dad when she came the three of us had to share a room so mm. without giving too much away your story just resonated so much with <laughs> what had happened and my dad but she came to stay for about two three months mm. and um and not only that when she came to stay I've got an auntie who lives in Holland she also came to stay as well so the four of us shared the same bed and I was like this is like and at the time, I was amazing. I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, my God, this is awful. I can't have any friends around. And to be honest, I did, never really used to have friends around anyway because I was quite embarrassed. We, we lived above the chippy. Mm. But it was just a whole thing's embarrassing. And my dear, she was she wasn't like any other, you know, British, quote, unquote, British grannies. She wore different clothes. 
she wore one of those I don't know how to even describe it she wore one of did those she wear like a body some people used to wear those body warmers like yes not, she wore those sleeves yeah yeah she, she wore like a silky shirt with like a body warmer a thin body kind of warmer with like um really beautiful kind of buttons but at the time Maisie when you're like 12 13 14 that is embarrassing you know and she couldn't speak English and it was just so yeah like I feel bad talking to you about it now but your book though it's just I'm reading I'm thinking oh my god I know this is a kid's book but I'm just reading it page to page and I was just like no way it's just like this is just so me and I don't know if I'm allowed to speak about another bit but there's a bit where the granny then makes friends with, with the local and they go to bingo. And in my heart, I'm just like, why couldn't have I done that? Why couldn't have I taken my granny to any of these like community clubs or anything like that? Instead, I was just like this. I was basically a bitch. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? And then I was just embarrassed that she was there. And I just feel like, I don't know, reading your book, it just gave me so much feels. It's just Aww. so well written. And oh, thank uh, you yeah so I think yeah we have to be like careful I think sometimes as authors we have I mean especially children's authors and being like there's not many British Chinese authors to be honest so we there's a a, for me there's a certain responsibility so I didn't want to put in my book that anything Chinese culture was like disgusting or problematic or anything like that even though sometimes we might feel that in real life because when I first wrote the first draft the parents were harsher they were like kind of 90s parents they were much harsher and my editors were like could we bring the parents like into the 21st century and I thought oh actually that's brilliant because all the British Chinese parents or all the Chinese parents I know today are doting they're like any other parents big birthday parties buy their kids loads of stuff and I was like yeah you know, and and so I had like I had a couple of British Chinese people read it as kind of I wanted to get all the stuff right, and one of them said, "Oh, but Cantonese parents or Chinese parents don't say I love you," and that's like kind of what you said, and I and they do in my book because young parents like you and I we say I love you all the time to yeah. our kids, and I wanted to put those parents in the parents that are like me and you in their forties, and I know, and so there's. I know people that still work in takeaways and I wanted to have the book as a homage to them mm-hmm. because there's lots of kind of criticism. Why are we writing takeaway stories? You know, why can't we do other things? Mm-hmm. And my next book, I don't have a takeaway in it, but it was a homage to like people that work six days a week yeah. in a takeaway for hours and hours. Like they don't mm-hmm. finish till 11 or 12 at night. They start in the morning. So it was a homage to them. And and there's two different Chinese families and it was mm-hmm. kind of contrasting and even like Auntie Yi, she's a typical sort of tiger mom. But even she has kind of nuance in the book. She wants to belong in British society as well, but she's rejected. And and so it's I was trying to say a lot of different things in the book, but but have it also as a, a kind of fun story for children. Yeah. And yeah, there's been lots of adults that have read it that really liked it from all cultures and it's also based on because I'm adopted so I grew up with English white family but they fostered loads of Chinese kids so I was around Chinese families all the time and we would go to dim sum and I met my Chinese grandma when I was I think 29 and so I used to go yeah I used to go and stay at her house in Bromsgrove in the Midlands she couldn't speak very good English so it's kind of based on that like how people communicate when they don't have the same language and it's Mm -hmm do it because I lived in Taiwan as well I didn't I couldn't speak Mandarin but I would just point at stuff and like make friends with people and 
so I wanted to have that kind of communication in the book between him and his grandma and they become friends Mm -hmm. essentially and also Mm -hmm. with Mrs Crookshank she becomes friends and my yeah my white mom became friends with one of the mums of the kids she was fostering and they're like my brothers now I I grew up with them and they're my brothers and my white mum ran a takeaway with a Chinese mum and they couldn't speak the same language and they ran this takeaway so I'd like to write that as a novel for adults actually that actually you, you can communicate even though you don't have the same culture the same upbringing and you can be friends with someone so I wanted that in the book yeah, the, yeah, there's kind of stuff that I wanted to put in on purpose and t- kind of defunct that we're all good at maths because some of us aren't good at maths. Like I can't add up. I was, no. I could do GCSE. Like when I was at school, I could do it, but now I can't hardly add up mm. at all. So, and that we are creative. Like there's loads of people that want to be screenwriters and actors mm-hmm. and musicians, and we don't all become doctors and lawyers because exactly. we just don't. So. Yeah, and that totally goes. And two words, so it goes against the kind of modern minority myth. And just what you were saying about you weren't good at maths. I wasn't good at maths, but I know that there's a there's a huge, huge stereotype that that Asians are really good at maths and they're going to become doctors. And, you know, some of them do that. Like my brother, he was good at maths and he became a doctor as well. But I remember it like growing up. I used to go to like my auntie's house on a Tuesday when uh, everyone we all used to, meet, used to meet up on a Tuesday when they take where it was closed and and I some part of me just used to dread seeing uh, some aunties because they used to be like right okay let's do times table what's five times five what's six times six you know and I was just like oh my god oh my god but I also have some cousins as well who were same age as me and I felt at the time I used to get compared to them so they're called Kevin and Philip hi Kevin and Philip I'm just going to reveal our little secret here. So they were in the year above me at school and Kevin and Philip, they were just, they were good at football. They were both quite academic and I wasn't that at all. Sometimes I felt, not that my parents ever put pressure on me, but I think it's just the environment that I was in. Whenever we were asked to do a times table and then they always, they they were really sharp, like, you know, like five times five, 25. They're really sharp at answering. And I was just like, but you know, like, like Kevin would get asked the question and then he would like, answer correctly. And then Philip would get asked the question. He would answer it correctly. And then like, honestly, my heart would just be like, like I'd be having a heart attack because I knew that the question is going to get asked, was going to get asked to me. And then I wouldn't know. And, and so that's one thing, but I also remember, when I started a a job a few years ago and we did one of those really like cheesy icebreaker things where they put us into into groups and and it's just a way how you could like work better as a group you'd become like a scrum master and how you could work agile and blah 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 and I was in this group and one of the tasks that we had to do was based on maths and then some guy said to me, oh, make Georgie the leader because you know, she'll be good at maths. And I was just like, what? Just because I'm Chinese, you think I'm good at maths? But at the time, though, I just kind of like shied away from it. It wasn't until later I thought, actually, like I felt really disappointed that he just like thought that I'd be good at maths because I was Chinese. And also mm. I felt really disappointed in myself that I wasn't good at math so that whole modern minority myth just really always yeah really played against me so when it can make people feel like inadequate and yeah 
I think one of the things of, about the book is about finding your own thing that you're good at and it could be drawing or being creative yeah. or whatever. And I think there is that thing of like East Asian parents and Asian parents in general that want their kids to do well, mm-hmm. right? Because they, they don't want them to work in takeaways and stuff like that. But then when you when you go to like any school or like after school activity, all the parents are like that white parents like I remember at nursery like they'd be like what school is your kid going to and I was like I don't know as long as they're happy because <laughs> you know? I'm quite I was quite academic to be honest but I didn't want it my, my English teacher wanted me to go to Cambridge and I was just like I won't fit in there I'm not going to go to Cambridge I want to do American studies and I think actually that year abroad when I went to America I mean I grew up in a council house and I worked like two jobs to save up to go to America I wasn't like from a rich family but going to America to a campus where it was 40% Asian American Wow, it just okay. blew my mind and they learned about history and they had literature and then when I got back from America in my mid-20s I was like I want to be a writer because there's nothing like literally nothing there's no books here for me we're not on tv and it's taken a long time because you have to get good at writing it, mm-hmm. it doesn't I mean for some people it's maybe they've got a voice but you have to learn the craft of writing and that can take years and years and so that's what I've been doing and so it looks like I've had like instant success but actually I haven't I've been writing and learning to write since 2006 mm-hmm. and like working part-time and not having any money and so it's like I really wanted to do it so it's like my passion and I love it and I've had other jobs I was I work for charities I used to work for the Red Cross I've been a cleaner I've worked at Blockbuster Video Blockbuster yeah. Video oh yeah my God, that's how old I am <laughs> So I worked like seven years, yeah, seven years on and off at Blockbuster. I loved it. And I think that got me, you know, I love film. So I'm trying to be a screenwriter as well. Yeah, so my mass, I did a master's and that was on how Hollywood portrayed Chinese men in the late 90s because it was like Jackie Chan and Chow Yun-Fat and Jet Li kind of all went to Hollywood and had these films. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of looking at masculinity and how... Hollywood was, was portraying Chinese men as kind of these kung fu machines, mm-hmm. but they're not, there was no romance. They weren't fully human. So that was, yeah, that, that all, all that research has kind of helped me become a writer as well. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. You know what you're just talking about? I think Bruce Lee's daughter, was it granddaughter? I think she's daughter. Recently... Yeah. It was about yeah, Quentin daughter... Tarantino. Yeah. It? Like, and you know what? It's something, and I feel quite, part guilty because I used to I, I love all the Quentin Tarantino films Pulp Fiction absolutely loved as well oh how do I say this like even though I've seen the way how Bruce Lee's been characterized or has been acted by other actors it has made me feel a bit hold on a second a bit uncomfortable but mm. I've never been able to not until now I've never been able to kind of think or to articulate why why yeah yeah so so it's very common so when you watch Kill Bill for example like Uma Thurman's in that yellow and black Mm. outfit which actually you think is a homage to Bruce Lee because he was in Enter the Dragon in that and it's a very famous outfit and then I just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like a few days ago and I saw that scene and it's kind of like I understand why his daughter was upset because So it's how a filmmaker puts the character in the film, like the gaze. And so you're on the side of Brad Pitt's character 
rather than Bruce Lee's character, mm-hmm. who does all these silly noises that he does in the films, mm-hmm. but actually he's just he's just shown as quite arrogant. And I think it was like he didn't need to do that, to be no. honest. I don't think. And so yeah, it's about the white macho man so for instance I watch I love Die Hard it's one of my favorite films and then when you watch Die Hard 4 one of the baddies is Maggie Q who's in Designated Five, and she's Asian and so he kills her sorry for the spoiler he kills her (laughs) and then a bit later he talks about this Asian bitch or whatever and like there's some he doesn't need to say that the screenwriter didn't need for him to say that but they they did it and then again that positions him as like the American hero and this Asian I think he calls her a ninja girl or something as you know thank god I've killed her so there's a few films where that happens so and also books so when that happens how does that influence the psyche of the person watching it 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 makes them see Asian people as less than whereas if you go to like Hong Kong cinema where the whole production is Asians everybody's Asian they're like the story and the gaze is from an Asian viewpoint, then it's totally different. So it depends who's telling the story, how they're setting up the scene and what they want the viewer to come away with. Um, And so you'll notice more of that as you become more aware, I think, Mm -hmm. of how, you know, some of my favourite films from the 80s, when you watch them back and then you see how the Asians are portrayed, it's like, oh my God, like Ferris Bueller, I think as well, was one of my favourite films. And I watched it recently and I was like, oh, there's some there's some Asian stuff that's problematic in there. So yeah. Hello and sorry, not sorry for the little interruption here. I just need to do my little plug. For those of you who don't know, I have an Instagram page and you can find me there on Chinese Chippy Girl. Feel free to screenshot this and share it and tag me in it. Also, what do you think of the show? I would love to hear your thoughts and you can DM me on Insta or email me on ChineseChippyGirl at gmail.com. Also, all you peeps listen to this on Apple Pod, I would love it if you could give me five stars. And if you're feeling generous, please leave me a nice review because I'm not going to lie, it makes my heart explode. Okay, now let's get back to Maisie. There's quite a lot of that now because... um, Oh, I don't even know where to start, Maisie. So obviously, like recently with um, a particular author, David Williams, and early this year, my friend, Steph, she sent me a picture of the book that he wrote the short story, Brian Wong, Who Is Never Wrong. And as soon as I read that, I just thought, you know, it just doesn't sit well, but you don't have yeah. words to say why it doesn't why it doesn't sit well. And then I started reading it and I was just so angry at the way how Brian Wong has been portrayed. So it's basically the name Wong and Wrong for a start are playground jokes that, that just takes the Mickey out of Chinese people. And 
yeah, it's just, it's just, it's for me, it's it's racist. Playground joke, casual racism, it's just racist. The other part was the way how Brian Wong has been portrayed. He's good at maths. He's a geek. He's a SWAT. And again, that's like the modern minority myth that we were talking about. He's just, it's it's just another way of how it's a stereotype that's been used to describe Chinese people. Yeah. And then there's also the illustration as well by Tony Ross, which I'm so disappointed with. Like the way how Brian has been characterised, the way how his glasses or the way how these, I don't know, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to say the word city. It's just, oh, it's just, it took me a while to understand why I didn't like this book. And and why it's harmful as well, which is the main thing. And obviously, you know, long story short, I, you know, I spoke about it on my Instagram. A few people shared it. I wrote to Harper Collins as well, myself and Anna Chan. And, and then uh, Benedict Wong came on board as well. And we had a meeting with Harper Collins. And to be honest with you, I felt the meeting with Harper Collins went quite well. I felt like we were heard. Absolute kudos to Benedict Wong. Benedict Wong, if you listen to this, you're amazing. He basically told his side of the story with him growing up as a British-born Chinese, being the only uh, Chinese person in, in his school. Obviously, his surname is Wong. So he really gave a, a really beautiful, heartfelt story of ha- how this book would have affected him. And, yeah. and, he, and he's a father as well. So we don't want our kids reading these books so this meeting was probably about you know a couple of weeks ago, so not a couple of weeks a couple of months ago and we're still waiting for answer from HarperCollins we knew that we're not we weren't we're not going to get an answer straight away we know that we're not going to make changes uh, straight away neither but so we are still waiting so hopefully we'll hear some sort of an outcome but it in this meeting though Maisie I had this like kind of this presentation and I was like right here here are some east you see authors, which absolutely nails it. And we spoke about you. We spoke about Amy Wants a Pet. And we basically said why representation is so important. And it's why we need, yeah, we just need more representation. We don't need any other white person trying to have an inclusive story of what they see is representation. Um, we need people like you, Maisie. We need people like you to tell our side of the heritage and you know one of the reasons why this you know a kid's <laughs> book is good because the pages have all come apart they set a tape all over it they strips of the pages because the kid loves it and the reason why my partner and I enjoy reading this story every single night and the reason why my daughter Sadie loves it is because there's representation even just the small things like you, you walk into a house Amy's house and you know the parents they're not wearing shoes they're using chopsticks and a bowl what's feeding the dragon mm. Amy's eyes for example I'm going to correct myself it's not so it's small she's got you know it's got big eyes she's got dark hair and it's just everything is just so it just so resonates with me and it's just like the difference between this and the difference between Brian Wong who's never ever wrong there's just a massive difference in it that like, you can tell that this is written illustrated by someone from Eastern Southeast Asian background. It's just... Yeah, often a publisher will find the illustrator themselves. So I don't really often have much input. I mean, with Danny Chung, they... Danny Chung does not do maths. They picked 
Aunt Gao, who's Vietnamese illustrator and animator. She's in Britain. And then for Danny Chung sums it up, which is the same book, but the Americans wanted a different name. I've got Natal Quek and she's just had a beautiful book called The Little Mermaid. It's a retelling of The Little Mermaid and it's for younger children. It's a picture book and it's written by Anna Kemp. So the um, author isn't easier, but it's beautiful and there's chopsticks and it's like this beautiful Malaysian inspired Little Mermaid so I recommend that and I think there's there's a lot more there are a lot more actually non-Asian authors who are putting um easier characters in their books and at first I was like oh you know I'd rather see I do rather see BC writers doing them mm-hmm. but if if say a white author for example does a good job and isn't stereotypical and uh, and, and so I don't have a problem with that. And I have been doing sensitivity reads. So lots of publishers pay for sensitivity readers to look at authenticity, to look at stereotypes. And I I even got, you know, as I said, I got two people to read Danny Chung from British mm-hmm. Chinese community because I sometimes we make mistakes as well. And so I just think do your research, be careful, ask other people for advice. Does this do these eyes look right? Is is the way I'm portraying this character? authentic but also not just authentic but is it harmful mm-hmm. can non-asian kids take that david you know the david williams thing brian wong is never wrong can they take that into the playground and can they bully other kids with it yes mm-hmm. they can so yeah. so think about the harm being done and to be honest like books are reprinted all the time so mm-hmm. you can reprint them you can you can take stuff out mm-hmm. you can the next print run you can take that story out if you need to so there's a lot about sort of Roald Dahl this Charlie in the Glass Elevator which I posted yes. on Instagram because a parent had written in a British Chinese forum oh I've been reading this book to my child at night and I had to stop and so I, I had it at home and I looked in it I was like oh my god yeah I understand why mm. you had to stop and it's that kind of mocking of Chinese people's accent. Actually, can you speak Chinese? It's really hard. I've tried to learn Mandarin Chinese. It's hard. So for them to speak two languages, we should be praising people that speak two languages or more, not making fun of them because most British people can't speak two languages. So then turn it around, say, you know, praise people for speaking more than one language and having to um, live in different countries because it's hard moving countries. It's hard it's hard starting a new life in a different country so that that whole thing needs to be turned around it's hard opening a takeaway and working six days a week and having one day off you know that's really hard we should be praising those people and I run a group called bubble tea writers so when they say there aren't any writers we can't find writers for this there are writers there's like 140 writers in my group and I sign yeah I signpost opportunities they're not all Chinese so there's like British Japanese writers there's Korean writers and I love that there's this term BCA and ECA now because it's all encompassing. And sometimes we do make mistakes and just ask for help. I always ask in my group, oh, I don't know about this Chinese wedding. Can you tell me a bit more about the weddings you've been mm-hmm. to so I can have it more authentic? Mm-hmm. So just just ask. And yeah. I think sometimes also we want to write about our own experience. But if our own experience then paints a community as a certain way then maybe you need to look at how you're telling the story Mm -hmm. as well yeah tell me more about bubble tea writers 
And because I know because because you mentor because you mentor some of the writers as well. That's amazing, Maisie. So I started Bubble Tea Writers in 2018 because I put so what happened? I put a call out on Twitter. I wanted to mentor a writer for a whole year because I'd been mentored as part of Megaphone. It's a kind of arts council program. And I just felt that having a whole year of mentoring gives you more stability because Mm -hmm. if you have mentoring for like a week or one or two calls, it's not the same as having like a sustained year. So I put a call out and I picked Eliza Chan who's a Scottish Chinese writer and she writes adult fantasy Mm -hmm. which is not what I write but she wanted to help get into the end of a novel so I became her cheerleader I would read whatever she sent to me I know about characters and I've written for adults before I just didn't know about that fantasy genre but I do watch fantasy and so she is a brilliant writer she's really imaginative and she just got an agent so if you want to be published traditionally yeah if you want to be published traditionally you need to get an agent first and they open the doors then to send your work to publishers and she just got an agent and she had like agents chasing her so I'm so proud of her (gasps) wow yeah well done Uh, And then she, so during that process, some of the writers that applied said, oh, you know, we've found each other. You know, Eliza had told me I've never met another British Chinese born author. So she was like really emotional. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. Uh, And we had been sort of isolated before then. So I started a private Facebook group and I didn't know what to call it. And I was like, how do I call it? You know, what can I call it? And I just thought, oh, I like bubble tea. And it's kind of an image that you can kind of see instantly I mean there's issues with it because they use lots of plastic and stuff like that and there's other milk teas but I was just like okay I'm just going to use it for now and there's published writers in there there's also like people that haven't started writing yet but want to and then there's emerging writers like Eliza and so after Eliza I mentored Louis Sit who's an Australian born Chinese author that lives in London and she writes children's fiction and adult short stories and this year I'm mentoring as part of Megaphone as well Ten the Gaul I don't know if, if that's how you pronounce it she's very British Vietnamese and her stories about a detective in Hanoi and I so you know my brother's partner's British Vietnamese so the community is actually big in Birmingham mm-hmm. so I wanted to mentor someone that knows about that culture and just to show that we aren't all Chinese actually that actually we do have shared experiences and stuff like that but not everyone is British Chinese Mm -hmm. and that's another there was another award called the Blossom Awards and they asked me to nominate myself but again it was all about British born Chinese nurse and I think that's kind of limiting in terms of community and like make you know having a pan-ethnic community is more helpful Mm -hmm. um and also it was about being patriotic and being high achievers Mm -hmm. and again that feeds into this model minority stereotype and I didn't want to nominate myself for that so yeah. I declined but I think oh, there's wow. other ways we can we can champion creatives in different ways by buying their stuff and just talking about them retweeting their work so yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing what you're doing it's particularly setting up bubble tea writers because it feels like this is just from what I can read it on Instagram so obviously it must be true source but like it feels like the publishing industry is is very white particularly in the UK and just going back to the the meeting that we had with Harper Collins so white people writing books based on other cultures or other communities then it just that story just needs it needs to be consulted because yeah. I don't feel Brian Wong 
was consulting. And and it just felt like, you know, it's finished what you said. It just feels like there's a there's a lack of EC or BCR, you know, writers out there. But now speaking to you, it's now I now understand there is no you're here you know, you've got bubble yeah. tea writers as well so you just need to somehow you know just really push the word out and just get them get them telling their stories because it's honestly it's, it's so so important whether it's in books or in film we definitely need that representation we're not just about we're good at math we're not just about the kung fu stuff there's more to there's a lot more to our culture like the food the food is a massive a massive yeah. thing and that's why Sorry to bang on about it again, but Amy wants a pet. You know, she uses chopsticks and she eats dumplings and she feeds dragon with dumplings with the chopsticks. It's just, it's so important. <laughs> it's like, it's just like when I was, when I remember when I first read it, I thought, oh, okay. Cause it felt like it's the first time I'd seen in a book a pair of chopsticks and a bowl mm. and you know it's just yeah it's yeah incredible. and there's like a whole chapter there's like a whole chapter in Danny Chung called dim sum love and because mm. we're not because I grew up with a white family like going to dim sum was so special and and funny Lily I would just like stuff my face but and then I would see like the older Chinese women not eating that much I was like what's wrong with them <laughs> why, aren't, why aren't they eating um so auntie Yi's like that in the story and I, I don't know my I met my Chinese mother actually in my 30s okay and we used to meet for dim sum and she wouldn't eat that much and I was like why is she not eating and that happened a few times where they just some of the older women just wouldn't eat that much you would they want to put stuff in your bowl yeah but they don't eat them that much themselves. So I put that in the book as well. And just these little things. So, you know, when I went to Hong Kong, uh, my friend was like, oh, we can wash our chopsticks in the tea. So I put that in the book. And just you know, lots of little cultural things that I've seen or picked yeah. up. You know, I lived in Taiwan as well. So I lived in, in, in a culture that's, that is their culture. So yeah, I wanted to be authentic in that way. And then there's a there's food in it, like the grandma eats food and she does spit out seeds because that's what my grandma yeah, used yeah, to yeah. do. When Although I some people that. think it's disgusting, that's just what you do. No, that's... when I read that I thought what which is it is it it's not pumpkin seeds or what is no, it? No, it's lychee. The lychee. lychee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My mum and my mum used to do that as well. Yeah. I put that in the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> and so. fruit, yeah, the fruit. There's always lots of fruit and so yeah, it's like I think people can feel that there's a lot of love and like mm. appreciation. And I, I didn't grow up like that. I think because my, there was a lot of issues with my Chinese parents and like my British parents. So I was eventually do- adopted by my British parents. So there were times when I didn't want to be Chinese and, you know, you get bullied and called names and stuff. And you don't want to be Chinese. And so it's my reckoning that actually I'm comfortable with who I am and I appreciate all these things Mm -hmm. and I put them all in the book so yeah yeah you kind of appreciate it now but I know what you mean like when I was I mean I've spoken about it um quite a few times I think on my podcast but when I was growing up in Maxville I just there's been times where I just felt like oh why am I Chinese why am I why you know why am I not white so why have yeah. I got dark hair why have I got like the hood you know above my eyes why this why have I got a flat nose there's was, there's was so many times that I questioned my identity and yeah so I think it's but speaking to other um BC people as well they've kind of gone through this same yeah it's thing. very common it's very common it's very common but you know back then there was like the reason why I think it's because 
there's just no representation exactly at all. exactly yeah no it's not in a vacuum and 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 publishers actually children's publishing is very nice and they want to be inclusive and diverse it's a whole yeah. thing but yeah the editors and the lots of the art you know the, the, the david williams didn't create that book in a vacuum there's like a whole ho- host of people that see that book through mm-hmm. publication and it is much slower in the uk in in america like you can get asian american authors asian american agents i i have a ment i've got mentors now for my american book okay. and so there's like hundreds of published asian american authors mm-hmm. and so we want the same here we want that in britain and we want to see more of our lived experiences here in britain and i think one of the problems is because publishing is a business mm-hmm. they look at marketing so when they see your book they might love your writing they might love your characters mm-hmm. and then it goes to the sales team and if the sales team think we don't have a market for this who's going to buy this you know british chinese people don't read so we're not going to pay that much for this book so what we need is the community buy the books actually if you want your children to do well at school if they're reading for pleasure you know rather than going to kumon or whatever if they're good readers they're going to be good in all subjects their mm-hmm. comprehension and understanding is going to be i mean there's been research done that if your kids read for pleasure if you've got 20 or more books in your house you've given your kid a really good start mm-hmm. so it's you know it might not just be about maths actually get them reading books get them even if it's comics graphic novels whatever get them reading and and then actually we'll get more the publishers will see actually this book's doing really well let's get more authors mm-hmm. so yeah yeah we need the community to get behind us just out of curiosity as well danny chung does not do maths how can you try to change the name in in america I mean, when I was writing the story, it was called Lychees and Bingo Balls, but that was more about the grandma, the nai-nai. So it had to be Danny Chung something. And one of his comics is called Danny Chung Does Not Do Math. So that's what the British publishers okay. thought. Oh, that would be a good title. But the American um, editor wanted something that does not, she didn't want does not do because it's kind okay. of sounds negative. Okay. So they they pick sums it up. And I quite liked it. It was like he kind of comes to a summation and it kind of is a play on that word sums yeah uh, and they had a different illustrator because the covers in america for like if you see kelly yang's front desk which is about chinese immigrants and they run a hotel there's a lot of detail in in american children's covers okay so they suggest a different market and a different oh, set of okay. art direction i never knew that yeah so that's yeah so it's quite common you might get a whole new cover in america but yeah, yeah. It's a bit hard having two titles because people think it's a sequel. But right, it's not. Okay. It's not a sequel. It's the same story. Yeah. Um, there are a few differences. Like the Chinese restaurant is called Tai Wu, I think, in the American version, which was based on one in Manchester that I used to go to. And then I changed the one in the, the British one to Chung Ying, which was my favourite one in Birmingham. Right, okay. And that's a real restaurant. <laughs> And you've been really busy. So you've basically yeah. just launched Danny Chung Does Not Do Maths. or yeah, Danny in Chung. June. Does yes. Not Do Maths in June, yeah. Yes. And you've got another book out as well. Yeah. So last, was it last busy, week? Busy. <laughs> so I'm going to hold it up, obviously, if you're on a podcast. It's Tiger Warrior. I can't Yay. keep up with you. <laughs> so it's a chapter book. So it's much thinner and it's aimed at sort of six plus. So it's aimed at kids that are starting to read for themselves. They're called chapter books. Yeah. And so it's bigger font and there's more pictures. 
And it's like based on the Chinese zodiac. So the animals are kind of magical and Jack has to learn to control them. So each book he learns to control a different animal. Nice. Yeah. And there's a different like enemy. So it's magic. I wanted to write magical portals and he's like mixed race as well. Um, And so it starts in the real world in Britain, but then he goes through the portal and he's in the J Kingdom and it's like action packed. And then at the end of the book, he comes back home. Right. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So it's your, it's your book. Is, is it out now? Then? It's, it's out now. Book. Yeah. It was out on July the 8th. Wow. And there's going to be, I got a three book deal with that one. So there's okay. going to be three of them. Yeah. <gasps> Amazing. Yeah. And I'm writing a second novel for Piccadilly Press. And that's going to be, I think it's going to be called Lizzie Chu. And it's got, it's going to have, she's going to be a young carer. Okay. And her granddad's going to have early dementia. And it's going to have like cosplay and dancing and some Chinese deities in there. It's not magical, but it's going to have kind of, it's going to look at Chinese deities and it's going to have a quest. Wow. So, so yeah. busy. Just <laughs> so out of busy. interest, just out of interest, just because I'm totally not, I don't have much idea around, you know, the publishing industry. So when you write a book, like how long does it take from kind of, you know, from writing it? through to publishing is it like a long not for two well sort of so your first book you'll you'll get an agent and then they'll send it to lots of different editors Mm -hmm. and then that process so Danny Chung got picked up I think it was 2019 Mm -hmm. so that's a two-year process Mm -hmm. of getting the offer to it being on the shelves is two years but then the second book I only get a year to write it and do the whole process so it's much quicker and it's it's much harder because when you write your first book, you've got, you can take your time really, you know, and the second book you're under contract, you're being paid, but you work with a professional editor for that one. So hope you hope it's going to be okay, but it, I find I'm finding it quite hard because you have to turn on the creativity mm-hmm. much more quickly, which is harder to do. And also, yeah, you've got a deadline, which is a year. So yeah, it's not easy. Wow. I'm pushing Turn, got, um, turning them out. <laughs> I'm pushing and how many children do you have? I've got two. How old are they? Uh, so one's eleven and one's nine. Wow. So you've got them to look after plus your yeah. book. And they're well. readers, like they I've always had like the book the house has been full of books and they read at night time. So I read it in bed and they've got into the habit of reading in bed, even if it's just like a chapter a night. So yeah, they're quite good readers. Oh nice. Oh so nice. I have a very important question to ask you, Maisie, before we go. What's your top five dim sum dishes? So I love dim sum and I went spent three hours eating dim sum. It's just me and my friend. There was just two of us and we ordered too much. And we're just like, we're going to eat it. We're not leaving. We're going to eat it. And we spent three hours eating dim sum. So my favourite, Hagao, I'm probably pronouncing some of these wrong. Siu Mai, Cha Su Chung Fung, Lobo Gao and Egg Tarts Dan Tan. Oh, nice. They're my favourite and they're very yes. common, aren't they? But I just love them. You know, they're not common, they're classics. Classics, yes. <laughs> and it's really hard getting good dim sum, isn't it? 
sometimes I mean yeah. you can have bad dim sum sometimes but, um. a couple of weeks ago I met up with them some girls some some EC girls there's Mayan came and Amy and Cardi Wu from BC there's Holly from London Fetch Patch and, and who else Anna Chan was there Shu Carly Wu's friend was there as well and we went for dim sum and I never have I missed anyone out? I probably have, haven't I? Oh gosh. But I never eat chicken's feet. Never. I, like, I, I just I don't, don't like, like them. It. I, d- I, I don't, don't like them. them. <laughs> I don't like them until, until I think Holly was like, oh, can we get the Thai, I don't know what you call it, the Thai chicken chicken feet so it's cold and there's no bones right. I thought you know I'm just oh, gonna if it doesn't try have bones. It. yeah if it doesn't have bones I tried to oh my god it was so good it's got this it's like right up there my top top favorite all right now. gosh so good my, my brothers love them like my brothers love chicken feet and they love eating fish eyes and all that stuff but I I prefer not to <laughs> Good. I've tried them and I've eaten in Taiwan you get like bum, chicken bums on a stick mm-hmm. and they're like barbecued yep. I ate those so yeah yeah oh, I love dim sum as well so oh anyway actually before we go is there anything else that you want to say Maisie is there anything else that you want to plug so um I'm partnering with Eva Wong Nava and she's a British Singaporean writer who has an agent and she writes picture books and we're hoping to start something like a BCA kidlit website or a hashtag or something where we can just like collectively work together to promote each other and I'm hoping to do something around that during ECA Heritage Month in September. Yes amazing. So uh, yeah and if anyone wants to know more about Bubble Tea if they want to be writers any any kind of writing you can just find us on Facebook and you just have to answer three questions which are are you based in the UK what kind of writing to do and are, do you identify as easier and that's mm-hmm. all and then I just signpost stuff and you can mm-hmm. ask questions or you can promote your own stuff on there I don't mind mm-hmm. um so it's that really what's your um, what's your instagram handle for that as so well? instagram so i have one for myself which is Maisie chan writes and my twitter handle is Maisie writes but at the moment we don't have a bubble tea i just wanted to do something quick and easy so mm-hmm. i haven't started like all of that stuff or the bc uh, kid lit thing yet but that's what i'm hoping to do okay um, so if anyone and, wants to find you they're just going to instagram instagram or yeah if you go to my website as well there's like loads okay. of information and it's bubble tea writers network on facebook is okay. the closed group and you can always like contact me and ask me questions if you want to be a writer there are children's authors that have got agents and they want to get their work out there but it's it can be quite hard yeah okay brilliant honestly such a big fan of your work such a big fan of your books I feel like I feel like I need to call you every night around half past seven so you can read <laughs> so you can read this Aww. book to to Tim Moimo but it's so good I don't know if I've sent you a video of it her favorite part of the book is Amy got into the dragon's back and they flew out the window and they saw <laughs> that's what they do and I'm like, Momo, what did what did the dragon baby do she's yeah. like part of the book but she knows that she knows when you get to this page she knows when you get to this page she gets she gets gets excited because she knows that we're going about to um we're about to soar over the city so yeah it's a reading book but i wish i'd written it as a picture book like a hardback picture book and that would have been nicer but anyway (laughs) 
I'm trying to write picture books, actually, and I'm trying to become a screenwriter. And my short film, Fold In, with Paul Thung and Joe Blair, got funded. Oh, wow. And we got we got Jeffrey from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, who's the <gasps> main lead. And then no we've got Shefei Chen. Yeah, so Shefei Chen is a British-Chinese, Taiwanese actress, and she's also in it. And so that's in post-production. So, yeah, oh, wow. my short film. That short film should be out soon, this year. And then I'm trying to get into children's TV because I, I saw that there was there was a petition going around about CBBS and C, CBB Storytime. At night time, they didn't have any books and stuff. So, yeah, so I'm talking to producers at BBC Children's, oh, trying, just trying to get more representation. And then, there are screen, there's yeah, there's screenwriters from the easier community also trying to get stuff on TV. So there's people working behind the scenes and they're trying really hard but it's like tv and film is so hard to get made <laughs> yeah there's lots of talking yeah. well, um, how, do, how do you have time for all this <laughs> yeah I don't I don't have a social life I don't, I don't come out very much <laughs> well you've done so amazing just even just you know with the EC representation in your books and everything because like I said I just wish there was some of that when I was growing up I don't think I would feel as isolated and I'm just so thankful that that you're around writing books for Sadie and all the other and and the next generation because yeah. you know what it's like you know growing up in a as a minority and the lack of representation it does make you question your identity and that is something which yeah, does. I really don't want Sadie to have I want her to embrace it I, like question it fine but not question it and not want it you know so yeah. anyway Thanks Thank you very so much. much. See Thank you later. You. Bye. Bye. Amy got into the dragon's back and they flew out the window and they soared over the city to a faraway place. What did they do? Thank you.